the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers Sweet land of liberty of the As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Frantz. It is indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you for starting your day with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. If you are just starting your day, that's outstanding that you started here. If you already started your day and Hugh Hewitt got you through the early portion, thank you for staying here. That is uh, also equally outstanding. We have a lot of very important things to discuss this morning, including a real attack on democracy. The left likes to use that phrase, don't they? They use it all the time. They talk about anything and everything that Donald Trump does or that conservatives do or that, uh, you know, before Kevin McCarthy and now Mike Johnson do, anything that Republicans do is considered to be a threat to democracy. Now we have a true threat to democracy, and we are going to have to discuss it. The state of Colorado, by the way, by way of four judges in a four to three decision on the Colorado Supreme Court has decided that we do not have democracy, in, in at least in their state. They do not have democracy. Democracy, of course, is the act of the people electing their leaders. That's the democratic process. People get, by the way, I don't want to just, people get all, all you know, 
befuddled by the difference between democracy and republic. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. However, we use the democratic process to have our elections, to choose the leaders that we send to our uh, governments, uh, our legislatures, and our executive offices to then manage the republic. They make decisions for us. We choose them to go there and do our will. That's what a representative republic is. However, getting those leaders it does indeed involve what's known as democracy, the democratic process. It's why we have our two parties called Democrat and Republican. One features the democracy part of our, of our government and our method of electing them, and the other, of course, the republic itself. So this is the reality. Colorado has said democracy, at least in the state of Colorado, is dead because they are not going to allow the voters of Colorado to decide whom they want as their president. They will not see the name of the leader of one of the two major parties, the man who's leading in the polls by massive margins, the man who is a former president and who is the clear favorite to win the nomination this time cannot appear that name cannot appear on a colorado presidential Getting that breaking news about the colorado state supreme court uh saying based on the 14th amendment and uh former president trump's actions during january 6th that he is not allowed to be on the ballot uh in colorado just receiving word from the trump campaign a reaction to this ruling Quote, unsurprisingly, the all-Democrat appointed Colorado Supreme Court has ruled against President Trump, supporting a Soros-funded left-wing group scheme to interfere in an election on behalf of crooked Joe Biden by removing President Trump's name from the ballot and eliminating the rights of Colorado voters to vote for the candidate of their choice. Democrat Party leaders are in a state of paranoia over the growing dominant lead President Trump has amassed in the polls. Every word of that is accurate. Every word of that is accurate. President Trump is the leader of the opposition party of the current president. Now, they want to call him Crooked Joe Biden. I mean, it fits. It's not very becoming, but whatever. Um, Every single bit of that is true. He's the leader of the opposition party challenging Crooked Joe Biden and removing his name essentially removes democracy. It removes the choice, removes the opportunity for the people of the state of Colorado to decide for themselves. And what's even worse... What's worse is that this is not the only state. You probably are aware that there are other states that are considering such things. As a matter of fact, uh, quite a few. There are around a dozen states that have lawsuits right now. Now, that doesn't mean a dozen state Supreme Courts are going to do what Colorado did. But there are lawsuits that have been brought in about a dozen other states to do the same thing. Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming, Texas. And again, Texas isn't going to, I can't imagine Texas would go along with this the way Colorado Supreme Court did, but the suit is there. Um, this is going on in uh, Wisconsin. It's going on in Michigan. It's going on in West Virginia. It's going on in Virginia. It's going on in South Carolina. It's going on in New York. It's going on in Vermont. It's going on in New Jersey. That might be more than a two, four, six, eight. 10, 12, 14, about 15 states, actually, that have um, lawsuits right now to remove Donald Trump's name from the ballot using the archaic and never-before-used Civil War-era 14th Amendment. That's what this is. 
using the 14th Amendment and alleging that Donald Trump committed an insurrection or led an insurrection or conspired to commit insurrection in order to overthrow the government. That's what this says. Now, you might wonder, and I am wondering, how it is that a Supreme Court can determine that Donald Trump led an insurrection without an actual, what are those things called again when you accuse somebody of something and then they get a chance to defend themselves of that something? What's that called again before a verdict is passed? Oh, a trial! What a novel concept! They decided, did these Supreme Court justices, that Donald Trump led an insurrection without having him tried for leading an insurrection. And when someone is punished without having stood trial, what do we call that? We call that a denial of his, um, what's that? There's two words again. What are those things that, that are supposed to be the bedrock of our constitutional protections in the criminal justice system? What's that called again when you had, they have to actually give you the opportunity to defend yourself and that they have to prove you despite the justice systems, the courts, um, uh, standard, that you are innocent until they prove you are not innocent. They have to prove you guilty, and they have to do so beyond a reasonable doubt. And you get a chance to challenge all of that. What's that called again? That Due process. That's it. Colorado Supreme Court justices, four of them, decided that Donald J. Trump doesn't deserve due process by way of a trial to prove that he led an insurrection before removing his name from the ballot, punishing him for something he has not been proven to have done, denying the voters of Colorado a very important state, not that any one state would be any more or less important than another given the circumstances of this, of this case, but Colorado... Voters won't get a chance to choose who they want to be president because they have denied him a trial and due process. They decided he was guilty of this. By what? How did these judges decide without a... First of all, usually cases have to go to trial, then through an appeals court process in order to get to a state supreme court with no original trial and thus no verdict to appeal and no appellate verdict uh, beyond that and then another and another till we get to a district court and then up to the Supreme Court, what the hell are they ruling on? What are they using to decide that Donald Trump can't be on the ballot because he led an insurrection? Um, media coverage? And that is literally the only answer here since there has been no evidence laid out in a court of law against Donald J. Trump for leading an insurrection. No evidence in a court of law that was then challenged by a defense and then sent to a jury to decide whether he committed uh, a conspiracy to commit insurrection or committed an actual or carried out an insurrection, etc. 
since that trial was never held, how can the Supreme Court decide we're going to uphold the guilty verdict? Without any evidence being presented, the only thing they had to go on is what the media said. So what, did the justices in the state of Colorado just sit around and watch CNN for the last three years? Watch MSNBC? Watch the extraordinarily unfair and unbalanced January 6th committee? have their little prime-time deliberations produced by an ABC television executive for, for, for a show? Did they say, we're watching lots of TV, and we're reading a lot of stuff in the New York Times and a lot in the Washington Post? Hell, probably in the Denver Post. We're reading a lot of really, really bad stuff about this guy. And even though that's not technically evidence because it's media coverage, and even though it's technically not um, a trial, it's enough for us to say, man, it looks really, really bad. He's guilty. You can't be on the ballot. Ladies and gentlemen, what the hell country are we living in? What happened to the United States of America where a Supreme Court can decide someone's guilt without a trial, without due process, without formal charges being administered. What what country are we in? Using, again, the 14th Amendment, never before used in the history of the country from the Civil War era, which was, which was written in the unlikely event that someone were to raise armies against the United States government. Now, that happened when it comes to the Confederacy. But that has not happened at any other time. No one, much less Donald Trump, has raised armies to forcefully overthrow the United States government. That would be an insurrection or a coup d'etat. That would be... A very, very different story. And even if Donald J. Trump had raised armies with weapons and, and, and made a charge on the federal government to overthrow it, even if he had done that, he would still have to be tried for that. So point one, he didn't. At point two, he there was no trial for that. How could he be banned from a ballot? And point number three that I haven't heard anybody talking about yet. How can Donald J. Trump overthrow a government that he was already in charge of? You do realize January 6, 2021 predated January 20th of 2021. Joe Biden wasn't sworn sworn in as the leader of the new government until January 20th. On January 6th, Donald Trump was still the president of the United States. He can't overthrow his own government. Asking the United States Congress to stop short of certifying the elections until an audit can be conducted is not an overthrow of the government. It is not an insurrection. Directing patriotic people to peacefully, emphasis on peaceful, peacefully make your voices heard down at the Capitol 
is also not raising armies to attack and overthrow a government that you're already in charge of. It is make your voices heard. Let the electors inside know that there are some, there are some doubt about the, what they're about to do. Maybe we ought to slow, pump the brakes a little bit and slow down and have an audit. None of that matters. All of those things that I just said would be multiplied exponentially in minute detail in the course of a trial. Trump attorneys would raise all of the points that I just made and then a billion others that are more legally foundational than my colloquial uh, paraphrasing of the law. But they would raise all of those in a trial. And if after that trial... A, a jury decided that, yes, he is guilty. He didn't raise armies, but it was enough for us. He's guilty. Then we get to the appeals. Then we get to another appeal. And then maybe it eventually gets to a Supreme Court. All of that was waived. The 14 amend, 14th Amendment's insurrection clause cannot possibly apply to Donald Trump's January 6th speech at the Ellipse and the subsequent march to the Capitol, the peaceful protesting that was then ginned up into a riot. And yes, it was a riot, but a riot is not an insurrection. Ginned up into a riot by hundreds of federales, all uh, um, infiltrated into the crowd, infiltrating the, the Trump supporters, wearing Trump gears, riding ghost buses, you know, gear, you know, the, you know the story by now. President Trump incited and encouraged the use of violence and lawless action to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, the court wrote. The tenor of President Trump's messages to his supporters in exhorting them to travel to Washington, D.C. on January 6th was obvious and unmistakable. The allegedly rigged election was an act of war, and those victimized by it had an obligation to fight back and fight aggressively. And President Trump's supporters did not miss or understand the message. The cavalry was coming to fight, end quote. The Colorado justices acknowledged that they did not reach these conclusions lightly, but the ruling applies to both the 2024 primary and general election ballots and could prompt the U.S. Supreme Court to offer a ruling on the appeal to the United States Supreme Court on a concur- and a concurrent request for a stay of this deeply undemocratic decision, is what Stephen Chung said, uh, Trump campaign spokesman. We have full confidence the U.S. Supreme Court will quickly rule in our favor and quickly put an end to these un-American lawsuits, end quote. I hope that is the case. I agree with Stephen Chung, and I, and I think that will be the case, but it does not undo the damage. The damage has been done. The Colorado Supreme Court has made it clear that due process no longer applies in the United States, that being tried, being accused, arrested, tried, convicted, and then sentenced... All of those steps can be completely eliminated. We're just going to jump right over all of those steps and go right to conviction and sentencing, right to punishment. You can't be president. You can't appear on the ballot. Nobody gets a chance to see your name there. The people are denied their right to cast a vote for the candidate of their choice. That is where we are. States have a great discretion in how they appoint electors. This will throw the entire system of electing president that we've now established for over 200 years into disarray. It's, it's a scandal. It's a shame. The justices 
who wrote this decision ought to be ashamed of themselves. It's a purely partisan ploy, and the Supreme Court ought to take this up as soon as possible and get us back to the business of electing presidents based on what the people want, not what partisans want and what they can get partisan judges to enact, which clearly violates the, the explicit terms of the Constitution itself. Yeah. Few people in America know and understand and have worked with and have educated on the U.S. Constitution better than Alan Dershowitz, and you just heard it. This is beyond a scandal. This is a moment in, in American history, honestly, that is either going to be repeated and replicated and become the new normal where due process and trials are just antiquated uh, uh, ideas of the past, and we are just going to go on media coverage and emotion on deciding who is guilty of what and what their punishments can be. Either that is going to result from this case or we are going to see a massive sea change against this sort of unconstitutional, undemocratic assault on the will of the American people and on the rights of one American citizen, Donald Trump. One of those two things is going to happen here. This is extraordinarily damaging. This is a new low for the, for the Democrats. I didn't know if they could go any lower. But they did. I would like to pledge allegiance to our flag, but I'm going to hold off on that right now because I'm a little bit too PO'd at the way our flag and our country is being treated right now. We'll do it before the end of the hour, but we're going to take a time out here. Um, I'm open this next half hour. We've got guests at 1010, 1035, and 1110, but I'm open this next half hour. I want you to react to what you heard yesterday from Colorado. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. This country needs some healing. And what the Colorado Supreme Court did is they basically took a blow at democracy in the name of democracy, as you mentioned. We've never needed the the democratic process more. We need voters to be able to make a decision. Because at some point, we've got to come back together. And I'll note, you know, yeah, there were four justices here that, that they finally found a majority to accept this dangerous theory. But there were three Democrats on the other side that refused to sign off. And some of those judges in other states that have rejected this theory, they're also Democrats. And they didn't do it because they had affinity for Donald Trump. They did it because they had affinity for the Constitution. And I'm hoping that we'll see that same profile of courage on the U.S. Supreme Court because we need to speak as one voice right now and to say that what the Colorado Supreme Court did is wrong. This is not what we're about. That's Jonathan Turley, um, typically a left-wing law professor at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., but he oftentimes defers from his left-wing Ideal, uh, ideology to support what's that thing? What was that word he mentioned that started with a C? The Constitution. Yeah, he is a constitutionalist. You can't say the same thing for people like, you know, former Barack Obama Homeland Security Director Jay Johnson, who apparently has never read the Constitution because he said, Well, first of all, I think this decision is simply a plain reading of the U.S. Constitution. It's a plain reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. <laughs> and the Supreme Court simply has to take this case, and I'm sure Judge Liddick would agree. 
Yeah, the Supreme Court of the United States is going to take this case, and they are going to probably, on a nine-to-nothing decision, uh, summarily dismiss what the Colorado Supreme Court did. But it does not change what it did and the precedent that it can set. That's the extraordinarily important part of this. But don't tell that to people like, um, I don't know, the New York Times. New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay on MSNBC. So, uh, Mara Gay, what do you what do you say to the um, to the Republican candidates argument that this should be the voters should have the say and not the courts? Why are you standing with Confederates who betrayed this country? So if you want, this is new, if you want due process and fair trials before convictions and punishments are handed down in an effort to undermine democracy, you're a Confederate. You're a Confederate who betrayed the country. Did you hear that? I I just heard that. My my lying ears did not deceive me. You heard it and I did. This is what the left wants you to believe, that you are standing with Confederates, the South, the pro-slavery side of the Civil War, if you want democracy to actually be run, giving the people a choice of who they want to vote for, and if you believe in due process in courts of law. Okay. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Joanne in Twinsburg first. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Morning, Bob. I'm really fired up about this. First of all, everything you've said so far is very important, but people have to understand, too, that this affects our vote, not just the people in Colorado. This affects everybody in the country. You know, I mean, if we can't vote for who we want to, they can't even write him in in Colorado and count his vote. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, you know, they can't, you know, people write them in, they can't count as votes. The other thing, too, is, you know, I've been sitting here thinking about this since, like, 3 o'clock this morning. Um, What about Kamala Harris paying for to get rioters out of jail in the summer of 2020? Didn't she aid in the insurrection? I mean, come on. No, because the rioters that she bailed out of jail didn't riot at the Capitol. They rioted in in Minneapolis and in other places that didn't matter. And remember, by the way, that wasn't... Hey, hey, hold on a second. How dare you conflate what happened on January 6th, which was a riot, to (laughs) the peaceful, mostly peaceful protests that were were led in in righteousness, by the way. Righteous indignation and anger. Yeah, that was righteous, though. Remember that. That, you that know, was righteous, and those were mostly peaceful. Too. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, people, you know, I mean, you know, Frank, La- I mean, they're fighting Frank LaRose, too. I mean, here in Ohio, they want him off the ballot. But people have to understand that, like I said, this affects everyone. And, you know, I mean, Colorado has to print their ballots in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, the it, it, it's, it's potentially it's potentially week. precedent setting for and like I yes. said, there are about 15 other states that have these same challenges going on right now. And I think other Supreme Courts may be emboldened by what Colorado did and saying, you know, if enough of us do this people to listen or watch Jay Seculo on ACLJ dot org. I mean, they're representing the Colorado Republican Party and they kind of knew this was going to happen and they're yeah. ready. But I mean, they have. All the points. I mean, you know, one judge, four judges can't decide whether January 6th was an insurrection and whether Trump 
inside well, of it. Well, they, they could. They it. could. They could. This is where I would disagree well, with Jay and his team. Can. If they no, they could. If they actually heard a trial, though, they are <laughs> judges after all. If there was a trial in front of them, they could decide whether or not January sixth was an insurrection. But since there was no trial, no evidence presented, no defense presented, then they cannot pronounce somebody guilty of something, which is what they've done here. And I'm sure. I mean, and thank you, Joanne, for the call. I'm sure. sure that's exactly what Jay Seculo and others would say as well as a part of this. They cannot judge it, but they could if there was actually a trial. Um, AC in Cleveland. AC, go ahead. Hello, Bob. Hello, AC. Bob, I'm going to give you the reason for this. But first of all, remember a song back in the 70s, 1973, by John Denver called Rocky Mountain High? I do. Okay. The last, one of the last verses in that song talks about people around a campfire. Okay? And this is what's happening from what you're talking about. Judges around the Trump fire and everybody's high. You have here, this is the long-term effect of a state that has legalized marijuana. I don't know if the Supreme Court justices who voted to deny Trump his due process and deny the voters of Colorado their right to choose who they want to vote for are stoners or not um uh you're right about that being the case colorado was the first of what is now i think we are the 22nd state to legalize recreational weed that doesn't necessarily mean that the supreme court justices imbibe be truthful ac i wish that was the case because if it was just decisions made in a in a cloud or a haze of weed smoke, then they could be excused. Then it would be understandable why they did something so ridiculous. But no, I think they were probably very much uh, sober and of clear mind and of clear ideology. Because that's what they did is they made a decision based on ideology rather than the law. And uh, and that, that, that makes this much, much worse than it would have been had they just gotten baked and decided to say, you know what, let's just not let them on the ballot. Right. They're trying to burn Trump. I mean, yeah. this is tragic. That they are, 100%, and tragic. us along yeah. with it, and us along with it. And that's the ultimate part of this that I hope people understand. I mean, I don't want, and thank you, AC, for the call. I'm going to say this. <clears throat> I don't want to elevate or reduce either one of the victims in this. I think the victims here are equal parts, voters and Donald Trump. Donald Trump is being victimized because he is, again, being pronounced guilty and punished without a trial. That's number one. But number two, or 1A and 1B, is the fact that the people, as a result of that, can't choose Donald Trump if they wish to say, we don't buy it. He's our guy. He's our leader. He's the one we want. They won't get to see his name on the ballot. So, they're, you know, we are victimized. The people of Colorado, very directly, would be victimized if this were to hold up. Uh, as Joanne just said, this affects us as well, because if we vote for our guy, but he's not on the ballot in enough other states for him to get the electoral votes uh, necessary, well, then that means we don't have an actual chance to vote for the next president of the United States. So it does affect us in Ohio and everywhere else, you know, in the same way. So we are victimized. Donald Trump is victimized. uh, And I don't think you can, like I said, elevate one over the other or reduce one below the other. We are all in the same boat. Uh, Tony in South Euclid. Tony, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, Tony from South Euclid. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Listen, I'm always focused on solutions. So I don't know how far this is going to go. I know the, the state of Colorado has control or how much control they have for the voting 
uh, procedures and practices and the boundaries and all that. But, you know, if it comes down to it, let's set up uh, or uh, initiate separate voting facilities when it comes time for this, if Trump isn't on the on the uh, ballot, and then bring that information, those votes and that information to the, the uh, United States Supreme Court when it comes time for whatever the cases and the procedures to show, look, these are the people that still voted for Donald Trump and want Donald Trump, excuse me, Donald Trump um, to be president or we voted for him. And these are all the people that, that voted for him that were not allowed to vote in the regular facilities. So you have some proof there and you pass it forward and say, look, if the, the, the uh, Colorado Supreme Court is not going to allow this to be on, then we go our own way and set up separate facilities and then present that as a case to show, look, these are the people that wanted Donald Trump in Colorado uh, to become president. So however you want to manipulate it, or I, I'm going to read up more on the on the Constitution, which I do, and, and find the ways that there's loopholes to say, hey, look, this could be presented in a way, and and your your famous um, your famous attorney uh, that that uh, is the uh, what is his name the, the which one <laughs> the guy yeah, Joshua, should I play a few minutes ago? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You know, I like the guy very much, and I think if you if you're creative in a way and find loopholes and to say, look, you know, they're not going to be able to, to to do this, and then we're going to take a step forward and say, look, again, like I said, we'll set up facilities and we'll we'll get Donald's uh, Donald Trump's vote and and proof that the people wanted him, and and then present that in a case to the Supreme Court when this happens. Well, um, I I don't know that any of those things would be legal or doable or would hold up in a court of law. It would just be, you know, considered, uh, considered essentially um, uh, an exercise in futility because you have to cast ballots in the legal and lawful way of casting ballots. If you try to set up your separate but equal polling location and say, here's our results, I mean, they're just going to be dismissed in the same way as if you were to set up a card table outside your house and say, here, cast your vote and drop it in this fishbowl. They're not going to take well, those and count them. They're doing it illegal, so uh, you know we're doing it illegal. I know, but, but, but my point is yeah. that my point is they're the ones in power, and they're the ones who would decide which "quote unquote" illegal um, uh, system that they're going to use, and we know they're going to use the one that has already been set up. I mean, I like listen to me, uh, Tony. I, I I like thinking outside the box. I do, and that's what you're doing here. I don't blame you for that at all. But I the 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 answer is going to have to come within the legal framework of the government, which means at the Supreme Court, not by something like this even though as much, much as it might please us to say, hey, we'll do it this way. It's just we need to look for solutions that are viable, and unfortunately I don't think that's one of them. Well, it might be, it might be a new precedence for case law. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's, there's other situations that were similar um, where they were unprecedented, and, and uh, that's what, uh, that's what uh, ended up being case law. It, it, yeah. You're going outside the box. So I, I think we need to look outside the box and not get nervous about it and say, look, there's other loopholes here. There's other ways that we can prove our point and not and not get excited about this uh, the potheads in in Colorado. And I'm sorry, I have to say that because that's that's what they are. And this this is totally out of hand too with this marijuana stuff because there's some really nut cases that that smoke the stuff and you see how you know society is going down. And I'm sorry, that's all part of it. That Colorado, that's a that's a crazy state. And we need to do something and, and, and again, be creative. And, and I think we can well, 
you don't have to you don't have to apologize for calling them potheads i call them potheads and stoners and burnouts because that's what they are that's what they've always been as far as i've known and that's not going to change because some idiot decided we're going to make that legal now to be a pothead a stoner and a burnout i just really and thank you for the call tony i just really hope and I guess expect and trust, maybe that's a little bit naive on my part, but I hope, expect, and trust that the Supreme Court justices in the state of Colorado or any other state are not among stoners, burnout, burnouts, and potheads uh, that they're making. And I, and I think that's the case. They don't need mind-altering substances to come up with radical, anti-American, and undemocratic ideas. They don't need you know, weed and THC to decide they hate the Constitution and the concept of due process when the accused is somebody as disgusting as Donald Trump, the orange man bad. They don't need to get themselves all in a state of disrepair to decide that CNN is right. That was an insurrection. They're just that radical on their own. They don't need artificial or quote unquote natural herb uh, to, to give them that uh, to give them that idea. Uh, Sally is in Bria next. Hi, Sally. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Well, it, it's um, the Pledge of Allegiance is even more important now because it mentions that we're a republic, and that's what's being totally um, all all the principles of republic are being ignored and uh, trashed yeah, by all these decisions and. The actual insurrection is is more from Biden with the undeclared army of terrorists and drug cartels that he's letting in. And that's what he's um, promoting and authorizing. So um, he's the one that's in the insurrection. It's not not Trump. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Thank you, Sally, for the call. I, I think uh, I think there's there's a lot of merit to that. Um, some of the responses, like I said, that are coming in from the American left are just um, are just impossible to to understand and to justify. I played a few of them. I played Mara Gay there, and I played Jay Johnson, and 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 there are many others. I, I, one of the things that I I have to point out here: President Trump needs to help himself in this regard. He needs to help himself, and thus all of us by not giving them more grist for their mill. He needs to make people want to to be on his side in this, because then that would be on our side. I mean, the people who are already supporters of President Trump are don't need to be convinced. They know that when he says radical things, that most of the time they're harmless, they're benign, they're just annoying to a lot of people. It annoys me. When he when he when he puts himself into precarious positions, but but the supporters know that it's he's joking or he's just you know saying things for shock value, and it's not a big deal. But when you are using phraseology like they're destroying the blood of our country, and people are immediately going back to speeches made by Hitler, which were similar, when you do those things, the people who aren't loyalists. The people who are, first of all, against you have that much more ammunition to try to take radical, unconstitutional steps to stop you than they would otherwise. Even moderates who are not necessarily red hat wearers on your side or, you know, never Trumpers on the other side are listening to that and going, okay, that's a little bit, little bit difficult. 
I, ju- I want President Trump to work with us. I want him to help us. I want him to play the role of victim appropriately. And guess what? Donald Trump is a victim in this. He's been victimized by them since 2015. Since the Golden Escalator. I mean, honestly, he's been victimized by this, this, this cabal that is working against him since that day. It hasn't changed. But sometimes we go so far, all we need you to do, Mr. President, is sit there and look innocent, which you are. Just sit there and let look innocent, remain humble, and don't give them any more ammunition to turn around and use against you. That's all I'm saying. So President Trump, when he's making speeches and talking about correctly the invasion at the southern border, don't give them any more ammunition, any more grist for the mill. Let's keep the language, you know, what it needs to be. You can still be you, do your thing, but don't give them any more rope or they will continue to fashion a stronger noose with it. We're going to fight for you, Donald Trump. We are going to fight for the Constitution. We're going to fight for due process. We're going to fight for order in the United States of America. We have been just cast into a state of disorder because of what the Supreme Court in Colorado did. We're going to fight for you. Just just, just sit there and look innocent and let us do this. The will of the people will be heard. I firmly believe that. Jack Windsor is going to join me after the top of the hour. Uh, I didn't even really run this down for you. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor this morning. We are going to talk to uh, former uh, uh, custom And to decide now that Donald Trump raised an army and tried to overthrow a government that he was still in charge of, on January 6th of 2021, it is just, it is ludicrous. It is, it is everything that you just heard from Alan Dershowitz say. It's an assault on democracy, Jonathan Turley and others. By the way, breaking news here before I go to our guest. The Colorado Republican Party is planning to withdraw from the primary election system in that state and move to a caucus system. If the ruling against Donald Trump stands, it probably will not. A state GOP spokesperson made the remark on social media. Um, Let's see. The party says, oh, this is in response to Vivek Ramaswamy, who said that he will withdraw his name from the Colorado primary if Donald Trump is not restored to that. The Colorado Republican Party responding, you won't have to because we will withdraw from the primary as a party and convert to a pure caucus system if this is allowed to stand. Now, what that means and what that would change, I don't know, because unless if you are in a caucus rather than a primary, your delegates and your electors there can choose anybody, even without a name being on a ballot. Maybe that's the reason they would shift this. I don't know how that would play long term going into um, a potential general election. If they won't allow his name on the ballot for a state primary, would they be? Would they allow his name to be on it in a general? That's something we'll have to hash out. Uh, let's bring Jack Windsor into the discussion. Jack Windsor, of course, is the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He's also been hosting a radio show at Salem's The Answer in Columbus for Bruce Hooley, who continues to convalesce. Uh, and Jack Windsor, it's always good to have you with us here in Cleveland. How are you? 
Bob, I'm super fantastic. Uh, what a news day today. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no question. Obviously, you and I uh, wanted to talk today about the endorsement of Bernie Moreno for the uh, Senate seat uh, from Donald Trump. But uh, late breaking news yesterday, of course, kind of shifted that a little bit. Let's start with uh, your reaction to what Colorado did in the way uh, in terms of uh, uh, taking Donald Trump's name off of the ballot, citing the third, uh, cla- third clause in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Your thoughts? There are a lot of thoughts, and I hope that I can weave them together pretty quickly because I know we don't have all morning to chew on this. But you know, the first thought that came to my mind was um, George Soros wrote a piece in the New York Times last year, and he said the ship has already sailed. This is already in motion. And I believe this has something to do with that. And, you know, I always say that words and actions are a barometer. Now, the barometric pressure, that's what uh, weather people use. They look at to see, all right, what's the pressure in the environment and what's the weather going to be like? Uh, the, the barometric reading on this is this is what we expect. Uh, Democrats are in panic mode. They're going to do everything that they can, whether the end result is him being off the ballot or not. This creates additional fodder in the news cycle that allows progressives to say, look, some Supreme Court in Colorado thinks Orange Man is bad, too. And so to me, it is, I guess, part and parcel with expectation. But it also signals that the left is unhinged, that they are willing to try anything. And, um, you know, I I do want to add this. One of the things that we heard Vivek said in his video, and by the way, I'll have his uh, deputy director, of communications on uh, my show at 1106, um, Stefan uh, And we're going to talk about what Vivek said. He said this is a, you know, basically an ancient statute that had to do with the Confederate soldiers. I want to point to a really scary fact here. What's that? If you are conservative, if you are a Trump Republican, they, they, meaning the press and the left, and even, dare I say, rhinos, want to paint you just like slave owners during the Civil War era. And I mean that. Uh, there are rhinos and there are progressives and there are Democrats who are pointing to our structure of government and the just insane claims that activists have been chanting for you know years now that our form of government was created by oppressors and we oppress the oppressed, the blacks, the whomever. And so I, I think it's kind of fitting because I genuinely believe that the left wants to make Republicans, particularly Trump Republicans, look like uh, slave owners looked during the Civil War era. Well, uh, you know, they do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just uh, playing a clip before you came on, Jack, from Mara Gay, one of the editorial board, uh, editorial page uh, uh, editors of the New York Times, who said uh, in response to this, uh, in a question from Joe Scarborough, was what do you say to the Republican candidate's argument that this should the voters should have the say in who they choose and not the courts? Her response was, and I quote, why are you standing with Confederates who betrayed the country? Uh, and this is what they're standing with, the spirit of those Confederates, rather than the Americans who came together after a long and brutal civil war. So she literally is calling anybody who wants Donald Trump's name to remain on the ballot and moreover wants him to have to have due or to get his due process before he is judged to be guilty of something. You are a Confederate. And of course, who were the Confederates? They were the side that was supporting slavery. So I think your, your instincts are spot on there. That's how they want uh, all of us to be viewed. Yeah, and it should scare the hell out of all of us, Bob, and I mean that genuinely, because when you look at what's going on, the, the burning, the looting, and the murdering of 2020 is now followed on by these these anti-Israeli demonstrations that are calling 
for the extinction of Jews. Guess what? It's all under the banner of we are oppressed, you are the oppressors, and because we are oppressed, anything goes. Isn't it interesting that what happened in 2020, that was the people who were oppressed making their voices heard? Why don't we look at January 6th like that? They didn't burn anything. They didn't kill anybody. But yet that's an insurrection. It's crazy world, Bob. Yeah, it, it is indeed. So so to, to the uh, Supreme Court now, the Colorado Supreme Court decided that trials don't matter. I mean, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, and I know you're not either, but we both have studied enough. I thought that Supreme Courts essentially were the last line of uh, in, in the succession of, of, of a trial. In other words, you have to actually have a trial, a jury or a judge trial, and then if you appeal that, you go to the next level, the next level, the district level, and eventually to the Supreme Court. There was no trial. Donald Trump did not, unless I missed it, you tell me, you, you're in the news business, you were on the Ohio Press Network. Did Donald Trump stand trial for insurrection? Was he found guilty by a jury and then appealed to, a, to an appellate court, and then that was upheld and then appealed again and again and again all the way up to the Supreme Court? Because I didn't see that in my coverage. Maybe I missed it. Did, was, there, was there a trial that, that would have led this to the Colorado Supreme Court uh, without due process? Am I missing it? No, you're not missing it. Let me answer that two ways. I don't, again, I'm not an attorney, but there are uh, mandamus actions, which essentially they, those go directly up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court makes a ruling. I'm assuming that that, this is uh, how that happened. And I need to go back and look at the notes in total transparency. I didn't get to do that. I was writing a story about uh, Trump's endorsement of Marino and getting ready for some big interviews today. So it's probably a mandamus action, but listen, we have to stop being apologetic. There were people who broke the law on January 6th. There are also people who didn't break the law. There are people who have been detained for years in violation of our Constitution, and we allow the press to continue to call it an insurrection. I'm sorry. Lawmakers went back to work three hours later. That's not an insurrection. There was not a takeover of the government. There was not this effort to install some other government. And I'm sick and tired of the press getting a free pass. I'm sick and tired of Democrats getting a free pass. And I'm not even coming off as a hardcore Republican. I'm an American. And we have a system of law. And we should have this fourth estate, the press, doing its job. None of it is working right now, Bob, and it scares the hell out of me. So there are 15 other states right now, I counted them up earlier, 14 or 15, I may have miscounted, uh, other states that have lawsuits uh, similar to, to the one in Colorado that led, to, that led to this decision by their Supreme Court. Do you think other Supreme Courts are going to be emboldened uh, by Colorado's decision here, or do you think that maybe they're going to look at the pushback here and be cowed by it? You know, Bob, I don't think that we can assign any ounce of credibility or sanity or jurisprudence to anybody that is has been swallowing the blue progressive poison pill. And I believe that there are people who have been swallowing that blue pill who are installed in courts, even at the Supreme Court level in states. I don't know what that state list is, but you and I could probably look at it offline and go, yep, that one's going to go against them, that one's going to go against them, that one's going to go against them. Well, because we now have a legal system that is, it, it, what, infiltrated by people who are political and not interested in the rule of law. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I'll throw some at you, and you probably can pick most of them up. Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, <laughs> New Mexico, Wyoming, which is a little surprising, Wisconsin, Michigan, New York, not surprising, Vermont, not surprising, New Jersey, not surprising, but West Virginia, which is purple, Virginia, and South Carolina, though, and Alaska. Those are all states with suits to bar Trump from the ballot. Yeah, so I, I circled three right away, and you, you probably would circle more, but Oregon... Michigan, 
uh, New Jersey. I'm sorry, I circled four in New York. Yep. Uh, are the four that I circled. Those come to the top of my mind. There are crazy people. in, And I say crazy. Listen, this isn't about political party or ideology. This is about the fact that there are people who just are, are vehemently opposed to the rule of law because they, in their minds, believe that we need to burn it all down. Right. I mean, Bernie Sanders talked about that a long time ago. These folks believe that this system is inherently racist, that it, it, it creates oppressors who rule over the oppressed. And so they're fine and dandy making sure that they can skirt the law and any constitutional right. So, yeah, I think there's probably maybe four there that will make one hell of an effort to get Donald Trump off of the primary ballot. Um, but each state is different. Right. And so I, the Colorado GOP is handling it with a caucus. What does that mean? It means that I think that they will, as a group of Republicans, pick the candidate, uh, you know, independent of somebody being on the ballot. Will those other states be able to do that? I don't know what their individual state laws are, but I'm certain yeah. that Republicans there will figure something out. All right. Jack, the reason we uh, originally scheduled our conversation today is to talk about the surprise in some people's minds, not mine, but I think uh, some people thought that um, uh, Donald Trump would not make an endorsement in the Ohio Senate race. But he uh, he did indeed do that. And yesterday the announcement came down that he has chosen uh, businessman Bernie Moreno over Secretary of State Frank LaRose and State Senator Matt Dolan. Your reaction? I had Bernie in studio on Monday and on the air, I laid it out. I said, in, in 22, Bernie, you met with President Trump. Soon after that meeting, you dropped out. And then he blessed J.D. Vance with his endorsement. Trump shows up at Emily Moreno's wedding, who now is Emily Miller. She married Max Miller, who is a former Trump aide and now U.S. congressman. And, and he delivered a toast and a speech. And the person that Trump endorsed in 22, J.D. Vance, endorsed Bernie Marino, I think it was in May of this year. I said, one point doesn't make a line, but three seem to. And that line points to you. And I expected him to get the endorsement. Uh, I didn't think that it would come this soon. Bob, listen, you and I talked to Vivek Ramaswamy the day before he declared his candidacy. I talked with Bernie Moreno the day before uh, Trump endorsed him. So one of us might have something big happen tomorrow, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, so so um, do you think, and this is just a uh, spitballing here, do you think this makes Frank LaRose or Matt Dolan rethink whether or not they want to go through with this? So, you know, I was at, a, at an event Monday night, and we were talking about Frank LaRose. I haven't had a chance to dig in. My understanding is he either attracted or is about to attract a significant amount of capital. Will that keep him in the race? Well, that certainly would help matters. I believe I could be wrong in, unless I talk to Frank, and I expect to do that in the next couple of days. I, I, I expect that he's the guy that, that is, it makes sense to drop out. And I'm sorry, Frank, if you hear that. Why, why I say that is that I think that he's postured as an America first uh, Republican, somebody who may get the Trump endorsement. With the Trump endorsement off the table, that's hard to overcome. I don't think Matt Dolan will drop out. Uh, I actually had a chance to talk to Matt Dolan Monday night, believe it or not. And I said this to him, you've never lied to me. And he hasn't. Matt Dolan is Matt Dolan. He's never pretended to be a Trump Republican. He's never pretended to be somebody who is a, you know, 100% all in on the Second Amendment. He really, to me, is that Rob Portman 2.0, you know, middle, middle of the road Republican. And, you know, Bob, there's room for that. So I expect this to be a pretty heated race uh, between Bernie and Matt Dolan, and uh, it's going to be interesting how it looks down the stretch. 
I'm going to play this uh, because I, I do find it interesting um, that this endorsement came down so shortly after Frank LaRose said this in a television interview. An Ohio endorsement to Cleveland area businessman Bernie Marino. Marino already picked up the endorsement of Republican Senator J.D. Vance. And a campaign commercial is running that shows Trump pre- So I'm going to skip ahead here in the interest of time to the uh, question. We're speculating on something that's not... How much will that hurt you if the if the endorsement goes to Marino? Well, I think that you're you're speculating on something that's not going to happen. Uh, Marino has been trying to convince people that he's going to have Trump's endorsement for months now. He's been promising something that he can't deliver. Uh, President Trump is most likely not going to endorse anybody in this race. That's what he's told me and, and others as it relates to this. Listen, Trump's endorsement means a lot in Ohio. If anybody's going to earn it, I believe it'll be me. But I don't think he endorses in this race. So, Jack Windsor, um, obviously, this is a big surprise to him. Um, and some have wondered. In fact, I was talking to some folks last night who wondered, is Frank LaRose, since he just made that prediction that, that fell flat on Monday, um, if he's going to now, because remember, in the past, he has been very much anti-Trump uh, in the past. And, and I wonder if he's going to turn you know, the knives toward Trump now for this. And instead, last night, he, he made a tweet, uh, uh, did... Uh, uh, Frank LaRose, uh, condemning Colorado and in full support of President Trump being on that ballot. Well, he should condemn Colorado. That, that, that to me, is, is akin more to an insurrection than what happened on January 6th. But look, let's be real clear. I, I, Frank is a friend. I, I, I like Frank. He, he takes my calls. He comes on the show. He does interviews. But let's remember, Same here. Trump did endorse, he did endorse him in, in his last run for uh, Secretary of State. But why did that happen? That happened. If you remember, Bob, Trump endorsed J.D. Vance and, the, and a lot of Republicans in Ohio on apoplectic. When Trump came to Delaware, Ohio, which is an event that I covered, in order to really make that endorsement of J.D. Vance sing, the scuttlebutt was he offered to endorse others who would endorse his endorsement, J.D. Vance. Well, Dave Yost took the bait there. Uh, Frank LaRose did it. And so then Trump, in turn, endorsed Frank LaRose. That is my understanding of how Trump endorsed uh, LaRose. LaRose previously has made some, look, making, <laughs> you can't make a mistake about how he's felt about Trump. He, he's thought that he's too extreme. Recently, and I want to say three months ago, his, his now former press secretary was fired for having a dummy Twitter account and making uh, you know negative remarks about Donald Trump online. So um, I think that there is a question sometimes when Frank's name comes up, is he a hardcore conservative the way that he is posturing himself now? I do believe that he's conservative, but I wonder if the public perception of that is, is too far gone. Look, when you lose the endorsement, you lose about 30 percent of the voting block. And then, you know, the money matter is huge. Frank maybe can't self-fund like Matt Dolan and Bernie Marino. So when I look at all of those tea leaves, I go, if there's a guy that's going to drop out, it's probably Frank LaRose. But you know, Bob, I'm wrong a lot, so I yeah. could be wrong almost. Well, no, and that's uh, that's as uh, good a prediction as any because uh, the Trump endorsement obviously carries a ton of weight, and uh, and maybe Frank LaRose will indeed see that handwriting on the wall. I just hope uh, that there is support from the other two whenever the eventual winner does emerge from this thing, because we're going to need all hands on deck to beat Sherrod Brown. When I say we, I mean those of us who uh, believe in uh, the Constitution and believe in uh, liberty and believe in uh, conservative principles and ideals, none of which seem to be of paramount importance to the current sitting Senate. Senator Sherrod Brown. Jack Windsor, uh, editor-in-chief and founder of the Ohio Press Network. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thanks, Bob.
That's Jack Windsor. It's 1026. We're going to take a timeout now. On the other side of that, we're going to talk about another issue today. There are things happening outside of the Colorado decision by the Supreme Court yesterday. 12,600, a new daily record uh, crossings uh, of, of our southern border. It is out of control. Some are suggesting that the border has truly been conquered. It has been taken. We are no longer free. We are no longer sovereign. It has been overrun and innocent. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we move onward now at 1036. Appreciate you being with us. Obviously, most of the attention this morning is on Colorado and the Supreme Court decision there, the true attack on democracy, the true attack on the Constitution. But there is an equal attack on our country, on our sovereignty, on our southern border. It seems like every week it gets just a little bit worse. You know, we went from a from a daily record of 8,000 crossings in a single day to a daily record of 10,000. And then we broke that record to 12,000. And now in the last 24 hours, the new record is 12,600 crossings in a single day. Around half of them had already been processed as of this morning. The other half waiting patiently for their turn to be released into the United States to begin to absorb our resources, uh, completely drain uh, the the taxpayer, uh, the uh, wallets of American taxpayers for their education, for their shelter, for their food, for their clothing, and so on and so forth. All of them, now not all of them, a significant number of them. Military-aged individual males, not families, not talking about kids, we're not talking about elderly, people fleeing oppression and persecution in their home countries with phony asylum claims. This, my friends, is an invasion. Joining us now to talk about it is the former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, uh, Mr. Mark Morgan. Uh, Commissioner Morgan, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. New number, 12,600. I'm looking at this, and, I, and in fact, I saw a graphic this morning on Fox News. I just wanted to, uh, to, to run by you here as uh, part of our conversation. Um, here's what we have. 4,500 were being pro- uh, transported and processed as of this morning. 5,300 in custody, but of course that means temporarily until they're released. That is, and this is the uh, uh, surge near Eagle Pass, that is over 260% over capacity. How much longer can we do this? We can't. We haven't been able to do it for the past three years. Here's the challenge, Bob. Part of it is what's a little frustrating is we become numb to the numbers because they're so catastrophically large. We we had two days ago 12,000. Well, I just got a report this morning. The last 24 hours, another 12,000 uh, total apprehensions on our border in a single day. The 21-day average right now, 21-day average, is over 9,800. Remember when Secretary Jay Johnson of the Obama administration, he said, I was chief of the border all the time. I worked for him. He said, remember, quote, 1,000 was a bad day. But he went on to say that three to 4,000 a day was catastrophic, would overwhelm, would crush, um, overrun all the resources. We're averaging almost 10,000. And, and as we talked about last couple of days, 12,000. There is no country on the face of the planet that could sustain this. 
No, you're you're exactly right, and it, it seems as though every time somebody tries to do something to to limit it, not not even end it, but to to minimize the damage, uh, Mr. Morgan, you know, like Greg Abbott, for example, putting the buoys, the buoy barrier in the Rio Grande. Oh, here comes the Biden administration. You can't do that. Uh, they they literally. Uh, um, uh, put up razor wire uh, along the border yep. so they can't cross that. Nope, here comes the Biden administration cutting it and taking it down. Now you have Governor Greg Abbott signing a new state law that Texas police officers can arrest and detain uh, illegal aliens if they are suspected to be here illegally. And now immediately a lawsuit is filed to try to stop Texas from doing that. So they cannot claim, those in the Biden administration, they cannot claim that they're doing everything they can when quite literally they're doing the opposite. They're doing everything they can to undermine those who are trying to secure the border. Well, I agree with you, but here's what here's what they are doing. They are doing everything that they can to further their agenda, which is open borders, and they're doing a, a dang good job at it. I mean, from day one, they dismantled the, the network of tools, authorities, and policies we had in place under the Trump administration that led to the, the lowest uh, flow of illegal aliens in, in 40 years and led to the most secure border we, we've ever had. So they're they're carrying out their strategy, and we've got to be, look. Let's be clear: this is very, very intentional. And and here's part of the problem: is it's the narrative. That's why they keep pushing back. That's why the lawsuits keep coming. Because here's the narrative: they're wanting to make what's happening on our border, Bob, about immigration, right? Because if it's about immigration, and we're against what's happening on the border, we're against immigration, and therefore, if we're against immigration, we're a racist. That's the narrative, and it's a false narrative. What's happening at our border is not about immigration. It's about border security, which is synonymous with national security. And our ability, though, to secure our border is in direct relation to the flow of illegal immigration. That's the key, Bob. They want to convolute and they want to uh, uh, propose that immigration is the same as illegal immigration. Real quick, just a, a quick analogy. It's like if you and I went grocery shopping. And you filled your cart full of groceries. You went and paid and went into the parking lot. I went into the same grocery store, filled my cart, but I left and ran without paying. We both get to the parking lot, and we're asked what we did, and we both say we went grocery shopping. No, we didn't. You went grocery shopping. I committed a crime that has a magnitude of downstream negative effects. That's the issue with illegal immigration. That's a great analogy. We're talking with former acting uh, commissioner of Customs and Border Protections, Mark Morgan. Um, so when I asked you how much longer we can do this, and said we've been, you're right. But I mean, we, you know, we we couldn't keep doing it three years ago, but here we are. We're still doing it. How many more yeah. days? How many more months can this country honestly call itself free uh, and defend itself with an average of eight thousand? You said it was a twenty nine day average of eight thousand a day. So do that for another month. Do that for another two months, five months, six months, the rest of the year of twenty twenty four before we can potentially have a an administration administrative change uh, do, do, what does the country look like at that point on, on uh, bob look your point spot on, on top of remember uh, fy 21 was a historic year fy 22 was a historic year on top of that fy 23 was a historic year on top of those two years and now as you just said fy 24 we're looking to shatter the previous three shattering record i mean we this is unsustainable we cannot do that it, it Every aspect of our nation's safety and national security has been impacted. Again, real quick, here's what happened. 
when you have the flow of illegal uh, aliens coming at, at this rate, Border Patrol resources are put offline. I just got a, a, a note today from Border Patrol agents on the front line. They said, everything's shut down. We're not doing any enforcement. We're not doing any national security operations. We are doing nothing but processing and releasing illegal aliens. At, oh, by the way, at a rate of 6,000 a day, they're releasing illegal aliens into the country. So our borders are wide open. We have drugs, criminals, and national security threats pouring in. How many more? You're, you're spot on. We, we can't, in my opinion, we can't wait till 2024. So that's why right now, Congress and the Republicans, where are you at? They passed H.R. 2, the strongest piece of border security legislation that's ever been passed in a single chamber in, in the United States Congress. And all but one Republican senator voted for it. it, it it's, there it is. There's the roadmap. And, Bob, right now, we have re- Republican senators that are negotiating against themselves to water down the very path, the very bill, H.R. 2, that they passed that said is the pathway forward. I don't get it. Well, you know, what I don't understand is is even if, you know, Biden would, would veto that in a heartbeat, right? Biden would, would never allow that through. We don't have the number to override it, so we're still stuck in the same place, which is to negotiate. And now we're selling out the, our, that southern border security, Mr. Morgan, uh, in exchange for more money to go to Volodymyr Zelensky. $60 billion more for him. Then we're going to send, obviously, I believe we should support uh, Israel's defense of itself uh, in the Middle East. And, and obviously, they're trying to p- uh, put Taiwan into that as well, but they're saying, we may give you some concessions on the border, changing in policy to a certain extent if you give us all of this aid money that we want for foreign countries. And they say yep. pushing back against that is selling out the aid package in support of the border. When, and I, I've been asking this for days. What do you mean selling out the aid package? Wouldn't you be selling out the border in, just so that you can get money for your aid? And which is your priority, the border or, or Ukraine? Bob, I, 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 amen. I couldn't have said it better myself. Look, we are prioritizing the border security and sovereignty of other nations in front of ours. Make no mistake, we have a war. Oh, and I'm, I, I'm not going to, I'm unapologetic about this. We have a war at our own border, and the enemy is the cartel. We have to put that in perspective. Our priority, I'm not saying we shouldn't help other nations. What I'm saying is our priority should be to help our nation first. And again, where do we compromise with that? Look, I understand there's a lot of stuff in this country that we need Republicans and Democrats to quote, compromise on. Our nation's security is not one of them. I mean, how, how many drugs coming in killing Americans is enough? How many criminals, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, gang members is okay? How many national security threats pouring in our country is a, is a, a level that's worth compromise? That's absurd. There should be no compromise to secure in our border. This should not be political. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. This is a red, white, or blue issue. And our priority should be securing our own border, going after the cartels, stopping illegal immigration, which reduces our ability to stop drugs, criminals, and national security threats from pouring in. It's time for Republicans to stand strong. And one last thing. I know I'm going along here. I apologize, Bob. No, you're doing fine. Keep it up. One last thing. Why is it that Republicans, if we shut down the government, why is it that Republicans own that? That's absurd. But right now, the narrative should be, we should be asking the Democrats, why would you shut down the government to keep our borders open? That's the question we should be asking. 
Yeah, no, it, uh, that's a great question. And, and, you know, you said it should be red, white, and blue, not in red and blue. But it is red and blue when you have people like, for example, the mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, uh, re- publicly melting down in a press conference in which he ripped Greg Abbott for allowing busloads of illegals to come to Chicago, a city that says we are a sanctuary city. We provide sanctuary for undocumented immigrants, otherwise known as illegal immigrants. And Greg Abbott is to blame for all of this. How can they not turn their attention to the man who brought them into Greg Abbott's state, which is not Greg it, Abbott, it's Joe Biden. So it is red and blue. Exactly, Bob. I mean, the, the, this brings their hypocrisy to a whole nother dimension, right? I mean, think about this. First of all, the last 36 months, the Biden administration has funded NGOs with U.S. taxpayer dollars to, to, to transport millions of illegal aliens all across the country, including Chicago and D.C. and New York. They don't mention that. And then the other thing, let's be honest about this. Greg Abbott, every single illegal alien that he facilitated to be put on a bus and go to Chicago or, or New York, that illegal alien signed a piece of paper that said that's where they wanted to go. He's just expediting the process out of his state so that Texas doesn't have to keep bearing 75, 80 percent of the burden. I mean, it's hypocrisy after hypocrisy. And the last thing, like you said, you're spot on. They're not asking the right thing. They're asking for the federal government, Biden, not to stop the crisis, not to put money towards shaping new policies to stop the flow and to secure the borders. They're asking this administration for more money to help facilitate the crisis after it's already here. They're not asking for the crisis to end. They're just asking for more of your money and our money to manage it after it's already here. And uh, we're talking to former U.S. Uh, Customs and Border Protection uh, Chief uh, Mark Morgan. Um, I want to read this from Henry Cuellar. This is a Texas Democrat uh, pointing out the, the reality of this, shockingly. Uh, Cuellar said, you've got to know how to use Title Eight. That is, you detain eight people, don't let them in, and then you deport people and you show videos. All we are doing, or I'm sorry, all we are seeing is people coming in, but we don't see any messages of people or videos of people going back, end quote. So he's pointing out that this, these are the the videos and the selfies that are being taken by people who have come into our country. They take pictures of themselves and they send them back to their countries. Look, we made it. So can you. That encourages more and more of these people to do this. They won't use the tools. And that was the, the last thing that Cuellar said. We're just not enforcing the laws we have in the books right now. Title Eight allows us to uh, take people who crossed illegally, process them under expedited removal, and ban them from seeking reentry, legal or otherwise for five years that we don't need a new law for that we just need to enforce it right or wrong yeah that, that's right so th- there's a couple of things this administration is doing first of all that the, the, what what Henry Quayer, and I know Henry Quayer, I, I don't agree with every uh, all of his comments on the border because he's at the end of the day he's still on the Democratic team and, and he's not where he should be but a law uh, but I tell you what he's still a voice of reason in the Democratic Party with this and what you just uh, uh, um, uh, provided I think is an example of that First and foremost, that's right. They're not enforcing the law. Title Eight. It goes a step further, actually. Title Eight says, and it's not just about removal. Title Eight says not only should a certain class be removed, but it also says a certain class should be detained, especially single adults. It's very clear they should not be released in the United States. That's the kicker. This administration is not only utilizing the law on the books. To, to, to apply consequences and send a message, but they're also not enforcing the rule of law with respect to detention. Here's the issue, and this is the big this is the big kicker. What we had done under the Trump administration is we had ended catch and release. 
It goes to the heart of what you just said. If you send a message to everybody that if you come to our borders, you're not going to be released into the interior United States, wait for chapter, they're going to stop coming. But this administration has reinstated catch or release. And as you said, they're literally taking selfies. That's why they're coming, because they know once they make it to our borders, they're going to be released to the United States under this administration. Yeah, they're making recruiting videos, basically, telling all of their friends and family, (laughs) look, we made it. You know, because there's I would imagine at some point there are people who may be thinking about making the trek um, who don't do it because they're not sure, especially if they do have, uh, you know, younger, younger, you know, kids or or people who are more vulnerable to travel. But then they get, uh, you know, they get these messages of encouragement. Look at us. We made it. You can do it. And here they come, and it's a never-ending cycle, which, again, it eventually is going to have to end. Either it ends or the United States of America ends. Closing thought, Mr. Morgan. Well, I, I say I agree. I'm going to steal your line, recruiting video. And, and the last thing I would say is, please, this is not about immigration. This is about border security. If somebody wants to come here and file a vile asylum claim, there's a lawful way to do it. You go to a port of entry, you file your claim, and you wait your turn. What's happening here is illegal immigration pulls resources off the line, we hand operational control over to the cartels, drugs, criminals, and national security threats are pouring in because of it. Right. Well, uh, Mark Morgan, uh, former acting director of the um, uh, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, thank you for what you do. I wish you a very Merry Christmas, and uh, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you, sir. You too. You too. You too, Bob. God bless. All right, that's uh, that's Mark Morgan joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. This is, uh, this is beyond crisis mode, and I'm going to continue to repeat this until I hear somebody on Capitol Hill say it on national television, that if all of these people were wearing the same colored shirt, we would call this what it is, an invasion. That's it. There's no, there's no, no follow-up to that. You had 12,600 people cross that border in the last 24 hours. We have an average of 8,000 crossing every single day. Now, by my math, seven days a week, that counts 56,000 new illegal immigrants into the country every week. Multiply that by the 52 weeks in a year, and you understand what we're talking about. If they all wore the same colored shirt, or if they all wore this, or spoke the same language... We would call this an invasion, a foreign invasion of United States territory. But because they come from different places and they speak different languages, it's, uh, it's you know, just, just people seeking freedom from the oppression and the persecution that they're suffering and taking advantage of American asylum laws. The only people being taken advantage of here are you and me, all of us. And I don't care how many times they try to tell us that this is about race. This is not about race. I don't care how many times the diversity hire, the black and gay press secretary, uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre, you know she was black and gay, right? They made sure that you know she was black and gay because that's how they introduced her. So we'll remind you that she's black and she's gay. She's also highly unqualified for this job. Look, this is an extreme law that will not and does not uh, make the communities in Texas safer. It just doesn't. And I think to add to that... What do you base that on, you bubblehead? What do you base that on? How do you just say it just doesn't? It doesn't make Texas safer for Texas law enforcement officers to, uh, to arrest lawbreakers? I kind of thought that arresting lawbreakers absolutely makes communities safer. It's why we have laws and why we have law enforcement officers. That is that uh, it is very much in line with what Republicans, uh, many Republicans uh, like to do or tend to do, which is de- 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 demonize. Uh, immigrants and also uh, dehumanize immigrants. First of all, we do not dehumanize them. We recognize that they are humans who are not Americans. 
We don't demonize them. If they're immigrants, we demonize them. If they are illegal immigrants, because they have broken our laws and as such deserve our condemnation. They have broken our laws and made our lives harder. You understand that? Our lives are more difficult because of not legal immigrants, because we are a nation of legal immigrants, and if they want to join the cadre of legal immigrants into this country, as all of our ancestors did, fine, we'll welcome them through the legal process, just like all of our ancestors did. But if they are going to line jump, circumvent our laws, yeah, we're going to demonize them. That means we're going to say we don't like it and we don't like you because you broke our laws, not because you speak a different language, because you broke our laws, not because of the hue of your skin, because you broke our laws, not because of your culture. When you break our laws, we are going to take that very seriously, something the Biden administration will not there do. There's been criticism from the left and the right that the White House could have gotten involved on this specific issue of border security and immigration sooner and not as actively as it has in the last 10 days. What's the response of the White House? Well, look, uh, as far as timing and engagement, look, the president has taken this very seriously. You've heard me say this over and over. Nine million illegal crossings in three years under Joe Biden. Don't tell me again, bubblehead, that he has taken it seriously. Over again, at nauseum probably, on the first day of this administration, almost three years ago, the president put forth a comprehensive immigration proposal. That's how serious he, put, he he took it. Comprehensive immigration proposal is not the same thing as border security. Tell us about border security, you unqualified diversity hire. Tell us about border security. Tell us about border security. 1056, coming up on top of the hour. Thanks to uh, Mr. Morgan. Thanks to Jack Windsor. Up next, State Representative Brian Stewart on a host of issues, one of which is this. Stay here on Always Ready. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools, and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Indeed, it is. And hour number three is underway. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a heck of a conversation uh, so far today. Several conversations, obviously, with the just shocking, shocking assault on democracy uh, that was waged yesterday by the Colorado Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision. Thanks to uh, Jack Windsor. gave us a lot of great insight on that. Uh, certainly appreciate that. We spoke with uh, former Customs and Border Protection Chief Mark Morgan last segment. And uh, now I want to bring in um, Ohio State Representative Brian Stewart, Ohio 12. He is an Iraq War veteran, uh, in addition to being a an attorney. And, uh, again, Ohio State Representative for District 12. And I know he's going to have some thoughts on the surrendering of democracy by one of our state Supreme Courts. Brian Stewart, thank you for joining us. Mr. Representative, good to have you. How are you? 
I'm great, Bob. Always good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. A couple of things in Ohio we're going to talk about. I was following your Twitter feed yesterday, and uh, a couple of things that just uh, piqued my interest. I wanted to talk, discuss a little more in depth with you. But the first one has to be the court decision yesterday by the uh, uh, Colorado Supreme Court to literally strip Donald Trump of his due process rights under the Constitution um, and just pronounce him guilty without a trial, guilty of an insurrection without any kind of a trial, you're an attorney, so you, you this is right in your wheelhouse. So they, they've stripped him of his due process rights. He has not been tried, much less convicted, but they have sentenced him to not being allowed to be on the ballot, and then at the same time stripping the voters of the state of Colorado of their right to choose the presidential candidate of their choice. Um, as an attorney, as an elected official, Brian Stewart, how do you react to all of that? It's a terrible opinion, uh, Bob. It's just the worst sort of jurisprudence where you can you could literally kind of see these judges having their predetermined preferred outcome and then they sort of tie themselves in knots uh trying to sort of uh, uh you know contrive a way to get there you know in america we beat our opponents at the ballot box we don't do this sort of banana republic nonsense where we just manufacture an excuse to leave our opponents off the ballot entirely and i think it's worth pointing out here as well bob you know it, the lower court in Colorado was a Democrat judge who got it right. He applied the law. He actually, you know, read the plain text of the statute and said that this that this could not fly. Uh, but that wasn't sufficient for the Colorado Supreme Court. And I'll, and I'll tell you, Bob, these these this is a slippery slope um, that I think Democrats are really going to regret going down because it's almost like they didn't read the remaining text of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Um, The other thing it says that if you have given aid or comfort to the enemies of the United States, uh, that that can be a grounds uh, to to not be – to to not hold office. Well, do you think the Texas Supreme Court or any number of other Republican-leaning courts might look at at, – uh, recent news and say that giving six billion dollars to Iran or hundreds of million dollars of you know military equipment to the Taliban is giving aid or comfort to the enemies of America is maybe a, a a means to keep Joe Biden off the ballot. We shouldn't be going down this road though, and um, I, I'm really disappointed to see uh, this opinion come out. It's a great point. Um, obviously, I would say the same exact thing if somebody if, if a you know right leaning or republican majority or conservative majority uh, uh, state Supreme Court did what you just said and we 're going to disqualify Joe Biden on the basis you did, I would say the same thing not without a trial you 're not. Right. Not without finding him guilty in a court of law by judge or jury of giving aid and comfort to the enemies. That's what they're doing here, and this is what's such an affront to democracy, to me, and to the you know to, to, to the constitutional rights of all Americans. Is that they have decided uh, that he is guilty of something based solely on media coverage. It's the only thing they can say. How did they judge that Donald J. Trump is guilty of trying to to uh, stage an insurrection without without any evidence having being presented to a court, without any cross examination, without any defense being put up, and so forth? All they have is what they see on CNN or MSNBC or read in the New York Times or the Washington Post. We cannot be allowing our our highest courts in the land, our supreme courts in the states, uh, to make decisions based on on slanted media coverage, right? It's exactly right, and one of the most concerning parts of the opinion, because I, you know, I actually slogged through and tried to read this, you know, 213-page uh, albatross. One of the things they really hang their hat on is, is 
is the report from the from the January 6th uh, committee of Congress, which, as you know, um, was stacked entirely by Democrats. Um, the only the only quote unquote Republicans uh, on the commission were were two, uh, you know, never Trumpers, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And the court sort of used this report as just gospel. And, I, you know, Bob, I don't recall um, you know, the Republican-led efforts to get to the bottom of Benghazi, you know, ever being used as just, you know, de facto, uh, you know, gospel truth in any court proceeding against Hillary Clinton. I mean, that is a that is a bizarre piece of evidence to hang your hat on. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is, um, particularly because what you just mentioned, the only two Republicans that were on that committee were Democrats. Uh, I mean, that's the reality of who Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger were. They're, they're both anti-Donald Trump figures who worked hand-in-hand with the with the Democrats who were trying to hang them out to dry. So you literally had a nine-to-nothing um, you know, uh, prosecution, nine prosecutors going after Donald Trump with no one there to provide any kind of defense or, or, or ask questions that they didn't want to ask. That's why they banned Jim Jordan and Jim Banks from the committee, for crying out loud, because they knew they would actually provide information on the other side. So again, for a court of law, much less a Supreme Court, to take that that slanted committee that did not provide any context from the other side, a defense to be put up for Donald Trump in these allegations of insurrection, uh, it would it, to me it should make the entire results of that committee null and void. And you know, Bob, we are. I, I think this opinion is going to get struck down by the United States Supreme Court for all the reasons uh, that you just mentioned. But it's going to be interesting to see what that vote total is because it should be nine to zero. Yes, it should. Um, and if it's and if it's not, you're going to see exactly why um, the sort of lawfare warriors are are constantly trying to go after. Uh, conservative Supreme Court justices because they they want the United States Supreme Court to have the same sort of jurisprudence that we just saw out of the Colorado Supreme Court, and it's why it's all the more important that we that we continue to uh, you know elect Republicans and make sure that we don't allow Joe Biden or anybody else to to pack the Supreme Court. Yeah, that is extraordinarily important. We are talking with Brian Stewart. He is state representative for Ohio District 12. By the way, you just filed to run for re-election, so congratulations on that. Any uh, any uh, uh, obstacles that you can foresee in uh, in keeping your spot? Well, you know, uh, looks like we may have a primary and a general. People are, you know, that's that's democracy, and we'll 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 take it on. But um, you know, I've been one of the most conservative and effective legislators. Uh, in the Ohio House of Representatives, and I'm very comfortable taking that record uh, back to the voters who have sent me there twice already, and we'd like to have a third term. Yeah, I would concur. I think you're doing a fantastic job. So you posted a couple of things that made me reach out to you uh, yesterday evening uh, about the SAFE Act. First of all, do you think that Mike DeWine is going to let this thing lapse? How many days in are we to the 10? Um, Is he going to let it lapse? Is he going to sign or is he going to veto? Well, I, I don't know. I I, I I am cautiously optimistic. I know that um, he is talking to a lot of the right people, and I think he is doing his he's doing his diligence and is not just listening to to one side or the other. And I, you know, I believe throughout this whole process, if folks really do the work and listen to all the testimony and see the stories from you know, detransitioners and and uh, you know parents who have who have had to go through this with their children. Um, we believe it's good policy. It's 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 a tough issue. I grant that, uh, but it is important that we not be a state uh, 
um, that allows minors to make permanent sex change operations when they can't even get a tattoo uh, without their parents' permission. And um, so we're cautiously optimistic. I don't know exactly how many days we are in on the on, on the count, but um, I, I I know that he is he is giving this very thoughtful consideration. So you tweeted yesterday something, which is, again, one of the reasons why I reached out about Ohio's gender clinics and the misdirection that they are uh, engaging in um, with respect to referrals to outside physicians. Can you tell us what you mean by all that? Sure. So, you know, one of the sort of talking points from the the quote-unquote gender clinics is, well, we don't do surgeries in our clinics, so what are you coming after us for? Um, and then there is, and then they also have tried to say, well, and we also don't do referrals to to other places. Well, we know that's not quite right. Um, there, and so in in the course of the committee hearing, I pressed them, you know, you know, asked the same question a couple different ways, and you know, finally by the end of it, they conceded that. Well, yeah, we give people a list of all the places where you can go and get a double mastectomy if you're a 14-year-old girl. And yes, we give you a list of all of the doctors who are willing to do all of the things that we claim we don't do you know, in our own clinics, but we don't call that a referral. And frankly, it was it was kind of absurd. I mean, I think most people in Ohio would say that if if I go to my doctor – uh, if I go to my, my, my primary care you know, doctor and he says, I'm not a heart surgeon, but here's a list of three heart surgeons that you can go talk to, we would call that a referral. Um, <laughs> now, the, And so um, that's kind of – we thought that was pretty uh, eye-opening testimony where they conceded, well, yeah, that's happening. We don't call it a referral, but we are connecting people with outside – uh, practitioners who will do these surgeries, and so it's it's important because there's so much information when so much misinformation um, in the legislatures. A lot of people who are paid um, to come in and give their client's side of the story and only their client's side of the story, and so you as a legislator have to be savvy enough to kind of compare and contrast and find out, you know, kind of dig into where people are clouding the truth. Yeah, no, and that's a great point. It's a great analogy with the uh, cardiac uh, situation. So, uh, Representative Brian Stewart, I know you don't know the answer to this, but again, I'm going to call on your legal expertise to just make an opinion or a prediction here. How does the passage of Issue 1, which, of course, was the you know abortion uh, uh, amendment, but it also was written vaguely enough that it could be applied to reproductive rights of kids who want to sterilize themselves by by way of you know starting these cross-sex hormones and so on and so forth uh, that they have the right to do so as individuals not adults which of course we, was a, a big talking point in that whole thing that passed it is now law and now the safe act is also law when the two collide what happens well obviously bob i mean i i worked very hard uh, uh this whole year to uh protect our constitution in august and to defeat um, this abortion on demand uh, amendment in November, and but I and I think that we made the point that the you know if we're going to be a rule of law country, you have to look at the words on the page and consider what they mean. And I do believe that issue you know the abortion amendment was drafted broadly enough so that if you had a Maureen O'Connor Democrat majority on the Ohio Supreme Court, um, I believe they would interpret those uh, provisions to. 
prohibit the state from interfering with you know sex change operations for minors. That being said, um, I also had the bill that added party affiliation to the ballot for the Ohio Supreme Court and our Court of Appeals races so that voters know who they're actually voting for. And sure enough, in 2022, you saw that uh, you know Republican candidates for the Supreme Court won by overwhelming margins because that's what voters want. And I am uh, I am cautiously optimistic that a conservative uh, Ohio Supreme Court that is construing issue one uh, in in a limited manner is going to conclude that it does not that it would not invalidate the Safe Act. Um, but it's why we have to be vigilant about these judicial races as well, because I think that there is enough room for disagreement on that. Yeah. That if you did have another, you know, Democrat majority, they might they might hold the other way. But if we if we can make sure that we have good conservatives in the Ohio Supreme Court, I think frankly a few of our um, pro life pieces of legislation can can withstand even issue one. Um, and I think that the that the proponents of issue one. Uh, frankly, kind of helped us on that by saying for a year that, no, 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 uh, we're not trying to do anything relating to parental rights. Well, now they're going to have to prove it, right? Now they're going to be held to what they campaigned on. And I think that uh, some of these pro-life bills we've passed uh, can survive. We're talking with Ohio State Representative uh, um, Brian Stewart, who is running for re-election in Ohio 12, and he's doing great work uh, in the Ohio State House. And I certainly hope that you're right, that your read on this is right, that uh, the passage of, of Issue 1 and that new constitutional law now, it is an amendment that is a law, will not stop the SAFE Act from taking effect because we literally have to protect our children, sometimes from themselves. You know what's really sad about that, too? You know, typically, when you talked a moment or two ago about the detransitioners, at whom do they direct most of their anger and frustration? It was the adults in their lives that failed them. When they were confused as young teens or preteens and adolescents and so forth, and they were confused uh, or they were maybe uh, intentionally confused by those putting peer pressure on them to do something different and become something else, it was the adults who were supposed to be the steady guiding hands in their lives that tell them, no, uh, that is not the way to go. This is not the way you do these things. And instead, they encourage them and they push them into it. And that's so frustrating. Kids need to be saved from themselves and the trusted adults in their lives who aren't doing it are are the real villains here. I think that's right, Bob. And I mean, you know, I'm raising three kids myself and, um, you know, sometimes they have ideas that you have to say no to. And I I think that that's part of of parenting. But I I do want to say, I think some of these parents are put in a really tough position too, where they have a child who is clearly has, um, is disturbed Mm -hmm. and, they go to a medical facility, uh, and I think in this country we, t- you know, we tend we go to the doctor and we kind of expect that they are going to know what they're talking about. And you go to some of these gender clinics, and you have a doctor who is pushing and pushing and pushing and saying this is the answer. You know, puberty blockers are the answer, uh, cross sex hormones are the answer, and you know, in some cases, surgery is yeah. the answer. And I think that puts parents in a really horrible position. And I, you know, the detransitioners who came before our committee, um, most of their anger was directed mostly at the physicians who they believed should have known better, who pushed in ways that um, they did, that they now view as problematic. Mm -hmm. And what you're also lawsuits, and we've been predicting this for years now, um, where detransitioners are, you know, suing 
these practitioners who did these surgeries on minor children, and it really has the potential to kind of upend uh, this trend that we've been seeing. Uh, and, and we definitely want to see that trend reversed. And uh, But I think that's it, it's the folks who are in a position with the white coat on uh, that need to be able to speak out and say, this is not the way that we treat a child um, who is confused about who they are. Well, and, you know, those those white coat wearers, Representative Stewart, you know, sadly, you know, you have to say that they're not always, uh, I, I think, in honoring their Hippocratic oath because there is a there is a financial benefit for them to create essentially lifelong patients. Because, you know, kids who go through and people who go through this the full way after the puberty blockers to start, then the cross-sex hormones, and then the actual surgeries, they are patients for the rest of their lives because there are constant problems with these, as, as transitioned people will tell you. And so they're, they're, they're you know, patients to, of the doctors, they're pharmaceutical patients for life. And quite frankly, I don't know that we can trust necessarily these, these white lab coat wearers. And, and frankly, I don't know why, why the first step, if you do have a kid who is confused about their sexual identity, they can't be confused about their body. You look at your body and it is what it is. You're confused about your identity, which is in the mind. Why do you go to a, 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 a you know, a, a physician or an internist or somebody when it's a psychological condition that you're dealing with? I remember being in, uh, you know, I'm 40 years old now, Bob, but I do remember being in high school. And uh, I remember that at that time, you know, eating disorders was a really big uh, topic of conversation, you know, anorexia, bulimia. And it was described to us as, you know, that that you you believe that you are, you know, overweight when you're not. And you, you, you are thinking things that are not true about your own body. And at no point. Uh, during during my time in school, was it ever discussed that the treatment for anorexia would be to say, yeah, stop eating, or that the treatment for bulimia would be like, yes, you should definitely continue to purge. No, it was or, or worse, yeah, to really to really bring your analogy home to to perform liposuction. No doctor would perform liposuction on somebody who's bulimic or anorexic who think that they're overweight weight when they're not. Exactly right. Exactly right. And one of the things we also pointed out. Uh, during the committee hearings on the SAFE Act was the numbers of of minors being diagnosed with gender dysphoria being, you know, the, the, the huge increases in the number of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones being prescribed. I mean, we're talking about 30, 40, 50 percent uh, increases just since 2017. And I would ask some of these doctors, like, can you recall any other like medical condition where you saw, you know, 40% increase in four years of, of, of something being diagnosed. I mean, that's, that's, there's clearly something else happening to your earlier point. And I think that's another thing that has greatly concerned us is the, the incentive there seems to be to sort of jump immediately to, to puberty blockers, hormones, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, in some cases, surgery. Yeah, that's exactly right. Representative Brian Stewart, I really appreciate you coming on. Your thoughts on the uh, Colorado uh, Supreme Court decision as well as what's going on here in our state with the SAFE Act. Very much appreciated. I wish you the very merriest and happiest and blessed of Christmas holidays, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bob, you're a great American. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Likewise. All right, it's 1130, so we're going to get our news, our bottom of the hour break. We'll come Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France. 
on The Answer. Alrighty, we roll onward toward the uh, quarter hour. At 11.45, we'll ask Bill O'Reilly to take it to the top for us. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure he'll be agreeable to that. Charlie Kirk, who's been live at uh, American F- America Fest, uh, will uh, take you until 1. Dennis Prager, stay here for uh, some financial information. And then Dr. G, uh, everybody's got uh, he's got thoughts. I want to give a little shout-out to our good friend, uh, the politically incorrect mechanic, uh, Charlie. Um, Charlie made this and sent it to me this morning. He he took the Washington Post, um, like masthead, the little label that they have, "Democracy Dies in Darkness," and he uh, he he xed out "darkness" and wrote in Colorado. I uh, he sent it to me. He said, "Feel free to use it," because uh, he made it, and uh, I said, "Already done." As soon as he sent it to me, I posted it. It's already received over 4,500 views on Twitter, and uh, it's been reposted and shared by... Hold on a second here. Um, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time here with this post. Seeing all of the engagements here. View post engagements. And I can't get it for some strange reason. At any rate, it has been, uh, it has been shared a number of times. <clears throat> Um, by the likes of Sebastian Gorka and Larry Elder and Kurt Schlichter and the people that I tagged on it, too, because they loved it as well. Right? It's accurate, is it not? Democracy dies in Colorado. That's what happened yesterday. The left, which is so protective of precious democracy, even though they don't understand the difference between democracy as a verb uh, and democracy as a noun, we are not a democracy as a noun. We do practice democracy, which is uh, technically, uh, you know, an action. Uh, but they're constantly complaining in, uh, about losing democracy. If Donald Trump is elected, democracy dies. Uh, you know, if Republicans are able to close the border, democracy dies. If Republicans are able to establish uh, voter ID laws, democracy dies, because that's going to disenfranchise people and all of this nonsense, Right. Democracy, the act of being able to choose your elected officials to serve as your voice in our representative republic, which is what we really are. Um, democracy was killed in Colorado. Now, I know there's I'm, I'm probably doing a little bit more hand wringing over this than I should, because I'm I, I, I do have confidence that, as Brian Stewart just told me, this the Supreme Court of the United States will almost assuredly vote to uh, to kill what Colorado just did, essentially to declare that unconstitutional, and therefore restoring Trump's name to the primary ballot in Colorado. But I don't want to take anything for, number one, I don't want to take anything for granted that the right thing is going to happen here. And number two, it doesn't change the fact that they did it. Even if it is overruled by the United States Supreme Court, it doesn't change the fact that one of the states, state uh, Supreme Courts made the decision to strip a, a presidential candidate of due process rights and strip a, a, a voting public, an electorate, of their choice of, of candidates. That, that is, to me, the bigger picture here. 
it is much more devastating when you think about it that a state Supreme Court would make this move even if it gets overruled. And it makes me wonder in the other 15 states how many others are going to do something similar. Because this is, uh, this is, this is, this is beyond the pale. This cannot be allowed. Uh, let me get a call from Charlie. And, hey, Charlie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Charlie. Hey, hey Bob. Thank you for taking the call. Merry Christmas mm-hmm. to you and your family. And to you. Hey. Yeah, the, the Trump thing. I guess the, most of those uh, were appointed Democrats that did that. So it's just a leftist thing. And, you know, they should vote nine to nothing. The Supreme Court, this was totally wrong. But what I was calling about is the immigration thing. How are we going to come back from it? Mitt Romney said self-deportation. You have to have an electronic verification. Every employer, the employee has to be uh, illegal or they get deported and the employer gets fined. How is that going to affect our economy? Because that will get rid of the gig, gig, anything under the table. It's going to be huge, but I don't see any other way. What do you think? Wait, 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 wait. Say, say the first part of that again, Charlie. The Mitt Romney said the only way we can get out, get rid of this is back when he was running for president. Yeah. All these illegals is to have self deportation by making them electronically verified. They have to be. Legal well, you verify. You verify has been a yeah. That that's been a that's been a topic for a very very long time. But it uh, but it, but it has been determined by many many states to be something they won't take up. They don't have an appetite to to establish e verify. Yeah, but how else are we going to get rid? I mean, they can't de- deport all these people with ICE. They're, you know, they'll be Char- Charlie. You know, they'll not, be but, but he, see, here, here's the thing. What's 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 really ang- infuriating, I guess, about this is what Romney said is right. Um, it would work if we made them unemployable, and unless you have, you know, the, the you know, an e-verified uh, uh, proof that you are uh, allowed to be here and that you're allowed to be to be working in the United States, that they would self-deport. Not only are we not making them get jobs to do that, we're just giving them everything that they need. You know what I mean? We're so far away from something like, hey, you know, use E-Verify to stop them from getting jobs and therefore their self-deport. We are making it so they don't even have to look. Do you know how many migrants are living in American hotels in our biggest cities right now on your taxpayer dimes, dime and mine? And I'm talking about New York. I'm talking about Chicago. They're, they're extremely now at least. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're living in American hotels eating food provided, again, free to them by these local city governments. Um, but, of course, they get all of their money from, from taxes, from state taxes and from federal taxes. So not only are we not making these people get jobs, and then, as you say... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.